You know what makes total sense? Uh, turning off the volume on your computer, as in completely fucking muting it. And then Reaper, my recording software, still somehow outputting audio through my laptop. Good thing I can uh, mute the channel, otherwise you'd be hearing a delay as we roll into the Calvin Strange cast for April 30th, 2021. What's going on, guys? How the hell are you, uh, Justin? Um, yeah, oh man, uh, geez, I haven't even looked at my website in several days. Uh, days is kind of, kind of making it sound even a little less extreme. Guys, it happened. I, I, how many times have I been warning you that it was going to happen? April. April is a hard month. March is a hard month. I think March was the first one I was complaining about, but April, April's just as hard, man. I don't know why. I don't know what it is that causes me to... Get really fucking depressed this time of year and not want to do anything, not want to apply myself, and I I, I don't know, man. I'm uh, I'm just looking to see. My last strange blog was on February thirteenth, and it was very very low quality. Um, so that was almost two months ago. And Strangecast's last episode was March 30th. So, hey, look at that! From March 30th to April 30th. It seems like I get pretty, uh... Get pretty, um... Upset with myself for uh, taking so long. And then eventually... Eventually... Jump back into it. Back into... The pod. The pod. Yes. Um... You know... One of the main things that makes the pod so difficult to do is the fact that I do know that there's not really much of a uh, listener base. It's pretty much my friend Justin, as I joke about all the time. Um, I know there are other people, there are certain friends of mine, like Mike Farrell, who will frequent my website. Not that I've updated that since February 13th or whatever that was. But I struggle with doing this podcast because really... I don't have a theme, I don't have a direction, I don't have a really an idea of what I'm doing here. And I have been, I shouldn't do that, that's very loud. I have been coming up with some ideas on perhaps where I would like this podcast to go. Now, I own this website, um, which basically means I can host this podcast and I can post it as whatever it is I want it to be, really. Um, so I have been thinking lately that perhaps I need to find a way to inject some more focus into it. And one idea that I had, and this is an extreme idea, but I don't really care, um, would be doing a... I was going to say daily podcast. Um, that would be a lot, obviously. Um, I can't even make it weekly. But if I did weekly, my idea was to do a weekly wrestling roundup. 
where I go over all the um, all the all the companies that are worth talking about and report the results basically and my idea would be to really try to approach it uh, in the way that you would report on legitimate events and who won and who who lost there would be zero zero discussion about oh this guy's getting a push and this guy's getting held back and like boy they really botched his character man none of that none none of the pro wrestling fan trying to be smarter than they are trying to prove to everyone that they know all the ins and outs of the industry is this would be this would be me laying out the the facts and maybe finding a way i mean look i'm not going to watch all the wrestling in the world every single week especially if i'm not getting fucking paid to do this right but i was thinking uh when i was working and listening to podcasts a lot that jeez that was loud sorry about that that peaked the microphone jeez not good um I wanted to listen to a podcast on the daily, or uh, or the weekly rather, that just gave me the results. Um, possibly even kept track of win loss records. Um, this is something that I've kind of thought of. We all know WWE does not care about win loss records. Wins and losses are the same. Fifty fifty booking, etc. My idea is to present pro wrestling as a sport and as as it stands in the world so if seth rollins is the world champion and i'm dating myself here um and he is losing a bunch of matches because that's what wwe does I want that, I want to see it reported, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just want to talk about it as if it was happening in real life, you know? What if what if there was this company where people lost a lot and they still got major opportunities, they still got title wins? I think it will add real interesting perspective um, to see the companies that are really paying close attention to that sort of thing, such as New Japan and AEW for the most part. Um, an impact to a certain degree, I'm sure. <coughs> WWE is not always bad with it. Every once in a while, WWE hits a fucking home run. And when WWE hits a home run, it's like a grand slam because they're just such a major company. So when they do something really right, it's like they've got the budget and they've got the fans and they've got the attention for it to just explode into a massive moment that you really really remember as being something special i'm really hoping uh aew aew will get there at some point i'm also trying to um use my jaw more when i talk because i think it will give me a better voice i've always had a 
very drawl voice I've felt and never enunciated too much. I always feel like I'm trying too hard if I'm moving my mouth too much. Uh, maybe it's because I'm self-conscious that I have a really big mouth. Um, but right now, where I'm trying to enunciate to someone like Justin, it probably sounds really weird because this is not how I normally talk. Um, that being said, living in an audio-only world where people can only hear your voice and that is how they are interacting with you, um, you need to be able to understand what they're saying. Um, the other thing is I do think there's a future for me doing some sort of play-by-play uh, -play commentary or commentary of some sort in pro wrestling. You know, this is something that I've always wanted to do, even before I wanted to be a wrestler, when I thought I would be too small to be a wrestler. Um, I always loved doing commentary on video games and stuff, you know, with your friends, just having fun. Not saying that I'm good at it or anything, but I'm just someone who loves it, who would love to learn and get better at it, um, particularly for something like Limitless. Um, so that's something that I think about for my for my future down the road, you know, what happens when, you know, maybe I hit my mid-30s or maybe I'm moving into my late 30s and pro wrestling's still not working out for me. You know, I got into pro wrestling late and it's been a regret of mine for a long time, but I also try to live my life without regrets and try to remember that, you know, it, it's the journey, not the destination type thing. Um, you know, moving from not thinking I could be a wrestler to becoming a wrestler, you know, that is an experience in itself and worthy. I think in pro wrestling, it gets to my anxiety a lot because pro wrestling locker rooms are, are great. I mean, the indie wrestling locker rooms that I'm a part of are great, you know, for the most part. But, and I'm just going to plug in my computer real quick, there is still always a sense of who's, oh my god, piece of shit computer, who's, uh, who's committed, who's committed to the business, you know, who, who loves it the most, you know, because there's this huge gatekeeping, I mean, gatekeeping, uh, that's gate, not gatekeeping, Gatekeeping is a huge problem in pro wrestling, and pro wrestling was, in a lot of ways, designed around it. I mean, the word kayfabe was designed to talk about the business or to let people know that, you know, there were people who weren't smart to the business around, um, you know, kayfabe, kayfabe. So... Uh, geez, I'm really going on a tangent here. What the hell am I talking about? Right, gatekeeping in pro wrestling. There's a lot of people that will say, and, and you're, you'll be taking a, a seminar, which if you want to pretend like you know everything about pro wrestling, just be a indie wrestler and attend a seminar, and then you can talk to everyone like your friends with that wrestler. Oh, yeah, he said this to me and all this stuff. It's great listening to people you know, actually think that they're friends with them. Um, I don't know why I'm being so fucking negative. It's just the way it is. It's just how I'm going to be. Um, raw, live, unfiltered. It's Calvin Strange. 
bitching about something. I saw Brandina Davis. I posted something positive on my Facebook feed. And the only comment was Brandina Davis being like, Wow, he said something positive. <laughs> what positive things can I talk about in 2020 slash 2021? What, what positive news do I have to bring to you? Besides certain video games coming out and stuff like that. I do want to get into video games. Um, I guess I'm more excited to talk here than I thought. Anyway, the gatekeeping, it all comes down to someone saying, you know, gee, if you're not willing to, you know, break up with your partner and travel the globe, are you really, do you really want to be a pro wrestler? Because if you don't want to go the hardest, then you should just get out. You're taking up too much room, brother. Now, I understand this sentiment is usually used to stop independent wrestlers who are getting into wrestling for the wrong reasons and by that I mean getting into pro wrestling because you're a major fan of pro wrestling obviously that's what most wrestlers do but There's this certain level of commitment, I can't believe I'm going to use that word, that needs to be given. For instance, lots of people would like to pay for a pro wrestling, you know, training, um, and be a part of that training and after a few months say all right i'm ready to be on shows you know and i guess you're not getting into the business for the wrong reasons but it's supposed to curb your expectations a little bit and make people understand that you do have to work fucking hard okay and a lot of people don't understand how hard you have to work outside of the ring as a wrestler all right and that's the part that i struggled with the most um, this counts for like going to the gym and staying in shape, which a lot of indie wrestlers just flat out don't do, which boggles my mind. You know, I, I Lance Storm, my trainer, said to me, or said to us, you know, you're training to be a professional athlete, so you got to present yourself as one. There is the movement of smaller guys, you know, less athletic guys, um, and you can be, uh, you know, not looking ripped and still be athletic, uh, I think that's the important part, you need to be athletic enough not to hurt anyone, you need to be athletic enough to fucking wrestle, <laughs> you need to be able to have a long match, you know, um, learning cardio, uh, ring cardio, and learning how to pace myself was, was huge in wrestling, and now that I'm a runner, I think it's going to be so much better and so much easier even. Um, you know, pro wrestling does use different cardio than long-form running, but you can't sit there and say that any amount of cardio that you're doing is not going to positively impact you in a pro wrestling ring. I mean, come on. Apparently, I heard someone say Chris Benoit back in the day would... Do, just do this insane treadmill workout where he would go for like three hours at like a sprint. 
Like, it was just absolutely fucking insane. I mean, I, I'm never going to do something like that. But, anyway, running's helped my cardio and all this shit. And that's why doing stuff out of the ring is important. You know, that one of the hardest parts of pro wrestling is saying, okay, I need to make enough money to make my rent with my jobs. But I need to have the ability to either get Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays off, or I need them, you know, permanently off. So this is why I normally ended up with two to three jobs, because I can tell each one of those jobs I'm not available on the weekends or on Fridays. So I'd work Monday to Thursday, and then I'd have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Now, you gotta remember, in between this, you need to be working out. Now, you might just be saying, oh, you just work out on the weekends, but you can't do that all the time when you're wrestling. Because a lot of wrestling shows are very far away. So for instance, when I first got into wrestling, I was doing a show at TIW in Pittsfield, Mass, which later turned into somewhere else in Mass, can't remember. And it was six and a half hour drive. It was a very, very fucking long drive. It was one way. So six and a half hours down, six and a half hours back after the wrestling show. Um, just brutal. Uh, trying to remember where I was going with that. What the hell are we talking about? I'm not even I'm not even stoned this morning, so I don't really understand why I'm why I'm so uh, so out of it. Um, right, the travel, yeah. So you're spending uh, 13 hours in the car on that day. 13 hours, okay. Most a lot of people don't even stay awake that long in their day. Um, so 13 hours of just being in the car, plus you're getting to the show and you're wrestling. And I would not do any... I had no merch, so I wasn't peddling merch or anything at intermission. That's a whole other thing that you got to do when you're a wrestler. That's how you make your money. And ideally, you want to stay a little bit up till, you know, maybe even at those TIW shows, after the show even, there's a lot of sales going on, autograph signings and shit like that. And that's where a lot of these guys really make their money. You know, it's not just from the booking. The booking usually is... Uh, Pretty low rate, especially when you are uh, pretty low on the uh, pro wrestling totem pole. So, working out on a day like that is out of the question if you're me. You know, I can't. I I don't have the drive or the energy. You know, it is hard for me to work out on a normal day. Uh, it's always been a struggle. It's always been something that. I've had to really work at and work into my daily life. You know, I fell out of working out real hard when the pandemic hit, but I managed to do some workouts and I think I was in good enough shape at the time that when the coronavirus hit, I was able to kind of carry myself for a while um, without doing those workouts. I've lost pretty much my entire back, which is very sad. I was in probably the best shape of my life when the coronavirus hit. I was miserable though. I was really dealing hard with depression and anxiety, uh, which I always do. I mean, obviously I talk about that here, but I was struggling really hard. So even though I was in that really good shape, I think I was burning the candle at a lot of ends. Um, 
you know, I'm, I was really, really addicted to caffeine at the time, and it was really fucking up my health. I can say that for certain now that I have been off of caffeine. When I say off of caffeine, it doesn't mean I don't drink caffeine. It means I don't drink caffeine every day. I don't have urges to drink caffeine. I don't get caffeine headaches anymore. Um, it was really liberating to get off of it because now I get excited when it's when I have a coffee or when I have tea. Because when I have tea, that gives me an energy boost and it used to not do dick for me. That being said, now I'm smoking a lot of THC. Let me just put it that way. Or vaping or ingesting in one way, shape, or form. Medicating, you know. Um, but it has gotten to the point where my tolerance is very high. Um, no pun intended. So I have been thinking about weaning off that for a little bit. But when you wake up and you have no motivation to do anything and you need to go for a run and you need to, you know, do some push ups and you need to do a podcast and you need to stream sometimes man it really helps it's a rainy day here i was very very thankful to see that i really needed a nice rainy day because on rainy days i don't go for runs now i saw a guy running with a raincoat shorts wet running shoes and i admire it and i do think that that guy is driven but I've also learned that getting yourself to do the things that you need to do and you know um, uh, dr driving yourself I guess you have to work within the confines of your own brain so like if you look online you will see a million opinions on should you run in the rain and to me I decide to think do I want to run in the rain I run in the snow I ran when it's basically been a blizzard out but I do not run in the rain the rain is miserable to run in now with snow, you can kind of brush it off yourself. You're going to get wet, sure. But with rain, you're going to get fucking soaked. You're going to be splashing in puddles. Your feet are going to be soaked. And I do not fuck with the wet feet thing. I got a toe fungus once. I ain't ever going back. My toes were yellow for, like, months. It was disgusting. Never going back to that. I'm not doing that. I keep my feet dry. I keep them clean. So I don't run in the rain. So today is a rest day, which is okay because I actually managed to set a new personal best for my running yesterday, so that was fun. But yeah, it's a nice, nice, solemn, rainy day. And it's only 10 a.m. actually. I'm getting a bit of an early start. Um, well, I've been up since about seven taking a look at a house for rent i don't think we're going to be taking it it's going to be quite a square footage drop from where we are right now we would have to 
we would have to offload a lot of stuff. I don't think we're going to be doing that. But, anyways, I digest. Let's talk about some games. I have been on a huge gaming kick ever since my PlayStation Vita was hacked, and then I killed it. Um, I don't know if I'm still in some like point of recovery. Breaking a piece of hardware like that for me, bricking it, making it utterly useless, was a really big deal. You know, I'm still upset about it. I don't know if I'll ever not be upset about it. All I can hope for someday is that some technology comes out where a totally bricked PlayStation Vita can somehow be saved or turned into something else because I've got a beautiful piece of hardware in there that's just begging to be used. Luckily, like I said, I do have another one. My main Vita that has all my Vita actual games on it. Um, saves from those. Everything, that's all fine. And the Vita store is no longer going away. Sony just scared everyone to thinking it was to drive up the market. And, yeah. That being said, I have been delving into hacking. Okay, the hacking that I've been doing is not what I would call hacking. I've been giving the flashcards. So... I got my Nintendo DS, one of the greatest handhelds ever, DS Lite in blue, and I ended up getting an Easy Flash uh, Game Boy Advance cartridge, um, which was $50, uh, and I now have every single Game Boy Advance game ever released on that one cartridge that I can access whenever I want. It's pretty awesome. I played Final Fantasy 1 for the Game Boy Advance on my PlayStation Portable before I knew, or sorry, my Vita, before I knew that they had really nice looking PSP ports for those games. And I beat it, but there were a lot of audio problems with the Game Boy emulator on the Game Boy, on the uh, Vita, and I don't have that problem here. Uh, I'm playing Game Boy Advance games natively on a Game Boy Advance, basically. Uh, so it is just really cool having access to all those games. And there is a lot of good games on the Game Boy Advance I'm currently playing. Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, which was a game that I did play back in the day. I think Josh Smith owned it, and I borrowed it from him. Probably didn't complete it, uh, but that's what I'm looking to do right now. I, like I said, I already beat Final Fantasy 1. I started a new game of that because the Game Boy Advance game is called Final Fantasy 1 and 2 Dawn of Souls. So it's both games. And it has a shared bestiary where you can see all the monsters you fought. So because I played Final Fantasy 1 on my Vita, none of the bestiary, bestiary, bestiary? I don't know. I have to do it all over again. So I basically started another Final Fantasy 1 game. And for some reason it's taken me much longer to play it this time. First time I played it, I was like banging it out. I was just so into that game. And now, probably because I just played it. So now I'm like a little discouraged. And I did start Final Fantasy 2, but to be honest... 
that game's a lot harder than Final Fantasy 1. I think with Final Fantasy 1, at a certain point in the game, you get to a point, honestly, where you have so many items, because items are really cheap in that game, that, you know, losing becomes pretty difficult. It can still be done, still happened to me, but leveling up can be very easy in that game, because all you gotta do is get yourself into a million fights, and on those battles where the enemies are a bit higher level than you, and will give you all that extra XP, you're just using items. Oh! Keeping yourself alive. And, uh... Killing monsters and shit. So anyway, I got to, uh... I haven't decided if I'm going to fully replay that game to fill up the bestiary, or if I'm just going to head to Final Fantasy 2, where they made the items a lot more expensive. So you can't just buy... You can't just have 99 of everything on hand at all times. Um, and holy shit, the... Uh, I don't know what you call it. I, I Basically, is like... The first town you go to is surrounded by nothing but you know level 1 enemies... So you're just killing them, killing them, killing them, trying to level up, trying to level up. It takes forever. You cross this bridge to get to the next place, and the first enemy that's there will fucking end you. Your whole your whole group. And that's game fucking over. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go back to your last save game. Hopefully you saved it recently, you piece of shit. It's, uh... It's tougher. So, but that being said, the story seems a lot better. Uh, the story for Final Fantasy One is great in the, in 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 that kind of old old role playing game style. You know, you don't really fucking know what's going on. They don't really tell you. They're just like, you are four heroes, and you have the four. I don't even remember what it is. Like four gems or something like that, or jewels. And so everyone's just like, oh, these guys are the chosen ones. They're going to save the world. Good luck. And then you're just on your own and you go save the world. Uh, so that it's, it's, it's literally a story just for the sake of getting the player out and going to the places to fight the people. I mean, it does have a cool uh, villain, the main villain of the game, who you fight in the beginning and then you fight at the end. But even then, you don't fully understand his motivations, I don't feel like. Or I don't remember, at least. Maybe I skipped over it. But, I mean, the characters you play as are silent. They don't say anything. Um, so you give them names and everything, but any personalities that you imagine they have are 100% imagined. There's no mannerisms that they give that make you think they'll be different. Having different uh, classes of characters doesn't change any interactions. You know, this is an older game, so it's not quite like that. Final Fantasy 2, my main characters were already talking and having a relationship and, and, and being worried for each other and uh, talking to each other and laughing with each other. So I'm really excited to play 2, I think. Two, from what my friend Bill Ridley told me, has one of the biggest quality jumps from like one game to another. 
And uh, in his opinion, too, is one of the best. He said he thinks it's going to be one of my favorites. And that it um, was really ahead of its time from what he says. So I'm really excited to play more of that one. Um, you know, it's a nice rainy day. Maybe I'll get on that today. But I was going to potentially play some of my PlayStation 4 because I finally, finally finally beat yakuza zero i haven't talked about this on the podcast i don't think if i did it's probably an episode from you know three years ago because i got yakuza zero when i lived on kanduskeg ave which was about two years ago and i got it early when we lived there so it was probably closer to three years ago and it took me that long to beat the goddamn game. That game has some long ass cutscenes and so many side missions and so many mini games. I mean, the mini games in the game are like full games that other companies put out as, you know, Mahjong, you know that game? Not they play it differently than the way Americans play. Americans, we have the like one that you played on Windows ninety five, where they just are all stacked up, and you click the ones that match that are on the edges or whatever. That's not mahjong. I don't know what the fuck that is. That's like American mahjong or something. Real mahjong is the most confusing fucking game you'll ever play in your goddamn life. As a Westerner, and I don't know, maybe even as someone who's Japanese, I have no idea, because. There were 20 pages of instructions, okay, on Yakuza 0 on how to play Mahjong. I read them over several times on several different occasions, and I still could never, ever, ever figure out what I was doing. Am I getting a phone call? I am. I am not answering that. Yeah, no. Yeah, so, uh... (laughs) There was, uh, there's a mini game for buying and selling properties and assigning certain managers and security personnel and scouting agents go to these properties and you have to begin collections on the properties and then buy other properties, try to get better managers and better security and all this stuff to try and level up the businesses so you can make more money from them for when you need to collect from them. That's just one mini game that you get like no time to even delve into until the post game. On top of that, with the another character that you play as, you have a whole cabaret club that you need to manage. You know, complete with escorts. They're not prostitutes. They're like, you know, just pretty girls that go and sit with guys. That I don't know, apparently that's what people do sometimes when you're rich. You just pay a pretty girl to sit with you and go ha ha ha, laugh at your jokes. Um, yeah, you have to do that. It's like you're assigning people to customers and you got to keep them happy and make sure you're assigning the right girl to the right customer, make sure that their personalities match and they're having fun and all this stuff. You got to kick problem makers out and like it was and it's just this mini game, but it's like a full game. Like it feels like a mobile game. It feels like it literally feels like a mobile game. There's so much stuff like that in Yakuza 0. 
it took me forever to get through it. I beat it. I've only completed 26% of the entire game, according to the achievements, at least. It's huge. Now, the reason why I really wanted to get Yakuza 0 when it came out was because it was part of the 10th anniversary project. Now, the original Yakuza came out in 2005. Uh, no, maybe it was a little later than that. Maybe it was earlier than that. Well, 10th anniversary project. Anyway, they started this project, 10th anniversary project. The same guy who's been making all the Yakuza games like, is still working on them, which is really cool. And there's a lot of them. And there's seven of them on the PlayStation 4 alone at this point. Because when Yakuza 0 came out, they announced the 10th year anniversary project, where they were going to take the original three games, Yakuza 1, 2, and 3, which were on the PlayStation 2 or the PlayStation 3, and they were going to bring them to the PlayStation 4 as Yakuza Kiwami. Uh, so Yakuza Kiwami 1, 2, and 3. Now on top of that, when the PS4 came out, they came out with Yakuza 4, and then Yakuza 5, and then Yakuza 6, which actually has New Japan Pro Wrestling wrestlers in it, like Okada and Tanahashi and stuff, which is why I can't wait to get to that one. Which is effectively the final Yakuza game in the Kiru Saga, which is your main character. So, then they released Yakuza 0 as sort of the wrap-up, interestingly enough, to the whole thing. And uh, I can understand why, because I beat Yakuza 0 and I started playing Yakuza Kiwami, the first one, the remake of the first game, um, because that was given to me for free for, on PlayStation Network at one point. And that game moves much quicker than Yakuza 0. Yakuza 0, you can tell they put everything into it the cinematics in those games are awesome the voice acting is incredible it is all japanese um but i mean if you can't hear emotion in people's voices just because they're not speaking english then i don't really know what to do for you i mean the voice acting is seriously very special in these games and the games are so unique they are very powerful and they're very grim at times and then they can be outrageous and completely silly um and not take themselves seriously at all i'm, I'm a huge fan of that from metal gear solid to you know this <laughs> uh, any game that can manage to make me care a lot about the characters and also laugh a lot i think is a home run Yakuza just has some, like, legitimately silly side quests. The side quests are crazy. I mean, the side quests, there's no voice acting for the most part. It's all text only. Um, and because of this, it just means that the developers were able to really craft these big backstory... These, uh, these, sorry, these big side quests. Um, and each side quest plays off... Plays out like... If Yakuza 0, which takes place in the 80s, which is another great thing about it, like 80s Japan, um, if it was a manga or an anime and there were just 
self-contained episodes, those would be the side quests. I mean, they have Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3 for a lot of these things, complete with accompanying music that, you know, plays at appropriate moments, you know? There's always that moment at the end where, you know, this kid and, like, his dad that were, like, both having a misunderstanding or whatever, they finally come together. It starts playing this, like, really cheesy, like, 80s keyboard, and it felt really outdated to me. It, it works so well in the context of the universe, you don't even realize that they did it on purpose. You're just kind of like, man, that's so dated sounding, like that old that old uh, keyboard with the, like, chorus effect or whatever on it. And, um now playing Yakuza Kiwami with the music that was in the game when the first game came out I'm assuming um, it's a totally different totally different style it's a totally different approach because we're not in the 80s anymore well, it's, well it starts in 1995 briefly but we're in 2005 at the point of that game coming out so it's it's a very interesting Series and I can't wait to get through the whole thing. Basically, I, I, it is a series. I've decided that I do want to collect it physically, and there's not a lot of games uh, in game series that I really want to do that sort of thing. But I, I mean, this is like a dream come true for a game series that you've never played to. get three ports three HD remasters released on the console that they've already released four games on so as to you know make the entire collection accessible on one console anytime there is a console where I can access an entire collection of something I almost have to get it I had the Metal Gear Solid Legacy collection at one point, but I did sell it back because I bought it pre-owned, and Metal Gear Solid 1 was only a download code in that, which was lame as fuck if you ask me. I mean, come on. Give us the fucking game, man. Download code? Come on. Anyway, man, I just vomited a bunch about, uh, about Yakuza there, didn't I? I don't know what else is going on in my life. I'm honestly getting a little hungry, getting kind of tired of doing this, so I'm going to cut it off short. I'm still here. <coughs> oh my god. Maybe I'm not still here. <coughs> I'm still here. Over a year. Into the pandemic. Over a year. Out of the ring. Just trying to stay in shape. Doing my neck bridges. Keeping my neck strong for when I get back in there. Trying to stay motivated. Trying to stay focused. Trying not to feel like my youth is being robbed. You know? By a bunch of anti-masking cunts. Trying to stay positive. I'm out of here. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm out. Peace!